All sorts of celebs were on hand, not just to raise money to fight AIDS, but to honor Madonna for her ceaseless AIDS activism. In the mid-80s, she was a model at an early AIDS benefit fashion show. In 1987, she held pop music's first big AIDS benefit show at New York's Madison Square Garden. She's shaking her booty at AIDS dance-a-thons, and on her last tour, she held another benefit after her friend, artist Keith Haring, died of AIDS. I think that she was one of the first people to really come out and uh, raise money, donate, publicly fight for it when it was not as fashionable. I think that she's a real heroine in that respect. Madonna not only got the Amphar Award of Courage, she was also roasted to a degree by her League of Their Own co-star, Rosie O'Donnell. Like every AIDS-related event these days, this one also saw discussion of Magic Johnson's announcement that he's HIV positive and the AIDS-related death of Queen frontman Freddie Mercury. I hope that uh, we're able to find a miracle through his sacrifice. Amphar co-founder and chairwoman Elizabeth Taylor was absent with the flu, but her disembodied voice did address the crowd on an audio tape she recorded in her sickbed. Tonight, we paid tribute to the heroine of our and a symbol of our times. Madonna, it is with love I salute you. God bless you always. I don't even know all the stuff that she does. I know she gives a lot of money, and, and I know that she's vocal about, you know, um, safe sex, and I just think that she's, you know, politically correct about it. It's called the Award of Courage, which makes sense because Madonna's about the bravest person I know. Hello, this is Kenny. And this is... Mark. <laughs> and this is All I Want to Do is Talk About Madonna. Album six, track 12. In This Life. There are moments on erotica that um, is e are easy to dismiss, are easy to roll your eyes at, are um, experiments that you personally may think go awry. Uh, it's very hard to dismiss in this life. As long and as lugubrious as it can feel in the moment, it is a gorgeous song and tribute to AIDS at a time when people weren't singing songs about AIDS. You, you think it's a tribute to AIDS? Not to AIDS, but it's a tribute to the people we, are, we have lost to AIDS. And she specifically is talking about two people that she lost. Yeah. Yes, yes, correct. Yes, and yes. nobody was doing this. No. And nobody was talking about it. And after an album, basically almost 11, now 12 songs, uh, of an album that had purported itself to be sexy and and dirty and you know a filthy dancey pop record, we get the realities of what's happening now in the world. 
Yeah, which I think has been um, pulling at this album the whole time. I mean, I do think it's the undercurrent of the whole album. I think some of the irony of it being called erotica is that it's, you know, it's not about erotica. It's, well, it's not It's not about fantasies, and, and erotica is, is pretty much, you know, it's, it's mired in fantasies and what, tell me your dreams and what, what, how you can hide in fantasy and the reality of what's happening in the world kind of slaps you with this song. Yep, yep. I think it's a beautiful song too. I know it's a song that I appreciate more now than I did at the time. Totally. You know what I mean? At the time I was sort of like, uh, like it stops the groove. It totally stops the groove and it stops it with these almost like Joni Mitchell vignettes about these these lost people. Song for Sharon. This is her song for Sharon. And yeah. Oh no, I totally, totally. This is her song for Sharon. (laughs) That's brilliant because, (laughs) but it's, it's not, it's not fun and frisky. It's, it's very serious and specific. I'm sitting on a park bench thinking about a friend of mine. He was only 23 gone before he had his time. Yeah. I mean, we can see that, right? So clearly. Well, and I always love the idea of uh, the use of crying in this song mm. because she does. He doesn't want he his friends to see him cry, and mm. so he's going to. Which Madonna has that same impulse? I think she and Martin Burgoyne, who is who this song is about, yeah. her uh, early friend in New York, uh, who was a dancer and uh, an artist and. Um, a homosexual <laughs> of ta- of town, and um, I think they probably share this kind of like it's you and me against the world attitude, mm-hmm. and nobody's going to see us crack, right? Um, and then at the end of the song, she's asking, "Have you ever seen a grown man cry?" So there's this this kind of AIDS is penetrating and decimating all fronts, all attempts at 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 illusion and distraction. One of the things this song hints at is this kind of existential guilt she must feel in, in that was the trade-off for her success that she would have to lose her friends. Oh, I don't know. It's it's something to think about because mm. I, I think about the next stanza about driving down the boulevard. Now mm. we're in LA. Mm-hmm. We're not in New York. And she's thinking about um, Christopher Flynn, her um, yeah. dance teacher from Michigan. I've actually been to the bar in Detroit, the gay bar that they used to go to. He used to bring her into Detroit from Flint mm. to go to. It's a hole-in-the-wall shithole. But you know what? They play, They kick off every night's dancing with Holiday. I love it. Yep. 
I, I remember always hearing about Howard Bruckner, who directed Bloodhounds of Broadway. And, and Howard was a director who, um, a wonderful director by all accounts, who was dying of AIDS throughout the shoot of that movie. And nobody knew about it until the very last minute. And Madonna did everything she could to help him in the moment and was furious that she didn't know earlier after working on this project. Not very long, but it was still an intimate collaboration. And she was at the hospital all the time. And she, she is, she, by all accounts, she's somebody that shows up at the hospital and will be there when she's not. She's very Catholic in that way. That's a very Catholic thing is to um, not, sh not be afraid of showing people loss and 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 being there when people take their final breaths and there there's something very um noble about that in this way that um you we can't really call to specific instances because she would do it very secretly right yeah well and privately as it should be it's not like here i'm going to the hospital now press conference to watch my friend die do yeah. you know what i mean you know what i think is so interesting about this song is that it is, I think it's a song of fury. It's a song of questioning. Like I think for you, like you were saying existential, like, you know, the what for is what always um, yeah. upsets me the most because there's this tinge. We've been talking about bitterness through this whole album and there's this moment here. And I think this goes to Secret Garden where she has the seed of bitterness in her mouth and she's deciding whether to swallow it or not throughout this oh, album. I love that. You know? I love that. And I think in this song, she's the most bitter. Well, if you want to talk, like I always think of the line, ignorance is not bliss because the song before this, why is it so hard? She's trying to espouse, why can't we all love each other? And that love has to include all of the people who are persecuting the gay mm. people that are dying of AIDS. And so how do you navigate your fury and your frustration and your anger towards those people and still love them, turn the other cheek to love them and to embrace them? And, th and that's, I think, a lot of what this song really grapples with. lesson is, is that you have to still that those people who are persecuting are doing it out of a state of lack of knowledge and they're suffering as well because of that lack of knowledge yeah I mean later you know in the speaking part at the very end you know she's like um, uh, I say that people just don't care they'd rather turn the other way and wait for this thing to go away which she puts You know, emphasis on. She never says AIDS in this album, of course. I mean, not of course, but she doesn't. Um, why do we have to pretend someday I pray it will end? You know, I think that's that's sort of call out to like, how do I, how do I accept? How do, how can I love people who don't care? You know. Um, and I and think, maybe that there are more people that don't care than that do. Yeah. And that that fear of that. And I, I mean, I feel that way. We, we're feeling that way right now. Is like how many people actually care and how many people are just ignoring it. And I think 
one of the reasons I think there's there was such resistance to this song, um, and a lot of fans roll their eyes at it. I mean, I've talked to a lot of people about it over the years because I'm like, and this life is a great way to kind of climax the emotional reality of this album. And they're like, well, it's so long. It's six and a half minutes. It's so serious. People weren't still after all of these songs, people were not ready for Madonna to be this serious woman and this serious artist. And after all the personas and everything she's played with over the last, like, you know, album she's stripped away again and she's singing this song and I think it really made people uncomfortable and the ones that just wanted the sexy dirty album were like wait a second I didn't sign up for messages right and then the ones that wanted the wanted the kind of the 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 confessional Madonna ironically the song is about other people yeah yeah. Well, I think too, like the song, it's a tough song, meaning it's not, um, it's a very controlled, mm-hmm. you know, dun, 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 yeah. dun, 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 dun. Yeah. There's not a lot of like, it's hard to, you have to really commit to the song to oh, yeah. go there. Yeah. And so I think it loses a lot of people because it's tough, you yeah. know? Um, and, and so that it is about, you're right. It doesn't fit into any of the expectations of the album. And yet, it's it's what the album is all about. I mean, I think that the album is living in the shadow of this the whole time, you know. And I remember at this around this time, it may have been a little later after the album came out. Um, she was given an award at Amfar by Luke Perry, and they memorably kissed. Right, right. And um, at that time, there were rumors that Madonna was HIV positive. Now I am not HIV positive. But what if I were? I would be more afraid of how society would treat me for having the disease than the actual disease itself. It occurred to me rather recently that what's even bigger than the AIDS epidemic, what's even more frightening, is the fear that this plague has given birth to. What they're facing is real. And if we can learn to deal with real, and we can learn to deal with our fears, then I'm hopeful that we can conquer this disease. Thank you. I can't say enough about how important that was as a young gay man in this country, not in New York City, but in the middle of Ohio, seeing somebody say things like that on uh, with, with the platform she had and aligning herself with the people who were suffering and sick and, and, um, and, for, and challenging people to address it in themselves. Mm-hmm. She's not saying you shouldn't be. She's just propo- she's proposing. She's asking the question. Yeah. And I thought it was just such a bold statement in a, in in a, in a series of bold statements over the I mean we've been talking about her speech at the Vatican. We've been talking about, you know, all all the kinds of rejections and the way that she kind of deals with the the slings and arrows of 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 Hollywood and all of the all of the that in hindsight now I mean this feels like one of the most important statements she made. Madonna performed this song every night on the Girly Show after yeah. Why Is It So Hard, two songs back to back of message. Um, she's alone on stage. She's singing the song straight up with some beautiful background vocals from Nikki and Donna. 
and it's great. It's a great performance. It's not the most dynamic performance on the on the video of the girly show, but you never doubt Madonna's sincerity and her passion and her delivery. Agreed. Yeah, totally agree. I think this conversation would uh, be enhanced uh, by bringing in a special guest, because uh, I think a lot of different people have uh, really interesting perspectives on this song, both from the time when it came out and as, you know, the th- almost 30 years since it came out. Um, so why don't we why don't we bring in our guest, Kenny? I love it. All right, here we go. Here we are with uh, a special guest, Brian Mullen. Brian Mullen is an American playwright and theater maker based in London, where he's developing his new autobiographical show about surviving with HIV, Live to Tell, a proposal for the Madonna Jukebox musical. Welcome, Brian. Thanks, guys. It's a real honor. Um, This podcast is actually probably my most important dramaturgical source over the last nine months (laughs) as I've been working on the show. Well, we will quote you on that. And when we come around for our percentage, just, um, you know, remember that. Well, will you tell us a little bit about the musical, just, you know, to kick it off or where where you are in your process or where the idea came from, you know, a little bit about the background. Yeah. So the first thing to say is that it is definitely not the Madonna jukebox musical. And um, in in an important way, it's, it's not really a show about Madonna at all. Um, It's a show about me and it's a show about what it's like to, um, be living on with HIV, because I've been living with HIV now for about eight years. Um, and uh, how does that have anything to do with the Madonna Jukebox musical? I guess it, it really came because um, uh, my boyfriend at the time, several years ago, used to always talk with me. We used to always talk um, about why hasn't there been a Madonna jukebox musical? And we just started to like, you know, it seemed like every other pop star, everyone had done one. And of course now she's contemplating doing the biopic and who knows what that's going to turn out to be. But we just started like kind of envisioning, you know, what would it be? What would be the best version of this? And to be honest, the credit for the title comes from him because, you know, it was sort of agreed that like, the the bad version of it would be called Material Girl, but the yeah. deep and rich version would be called Live to Tell. And, you know, um, so that was always stuck in my brain. And then I wanted to start to write an autobiographical show myself that had something to do with um, my experience on um, HIV antiretroviral medication and real life experiences that I had. And those two ideas just came together because, and and bear with me on this, but in a strange way, Madonna and the HIV virus, they're just twinned. They're like, um, obviously they arrived in the world around the same time. Mm -hmm. And they, I mean, her HIV activism and her just connection to the queer community and to HIV is really important. But in the other way, part of the reason why um, the HIV virus is still such uh, a significant, it still has a significant impact in the world because it keeps mutating and it keeps changing and all the, and it keeps reinventing itself. And so in that way, <laughs> somebody, I remember on my Instagram comments was like, you did not just compare Madonna to a virus, but in that sense, she has that resilience and that constant mutation. And so the show is really about me attempting to pitch to Madonna why I should write her her jukebox musical. And it contains no Madonna music. (laughs) 
So, you know, the lawyers can avoid, we don't sing any Madonna songs because it never comes together. And so yeah. it's me and one other actor. Um, but what it becomes about is about me, um, in my experience, um, on antiretrovirals, longing for a kind of reinvention or a fresh start and longing for like the way that a jukebox musical has this structure of like overcoming difficulties and achieving success, which is like the story of Madonna or whoever in the jukebox musical narrative. But that is not exactly the story of living with a chronic condition that just kind of never has any closure, never has any end. So, um, we we did a live version of the show um, back in 2019 um, before the pandemic. It was kind of really coming together, not a full run, but just like a, a workshop of it. Mm-hmm. It's been delayed because of the pandemic. Um, we're currently developing it with a theater here in London, and we've filmed a digital version that may or may not be. Um, I'm editing it now. It may not. It may appear in the world, or it may be that we hold it back until the live version comes. But um, uh, I'm definitely not a Madonna uh, encyclopedic expert on the level of the two of you, but no. in a sense, like I feel like I'm someone who has a deep Madonna connection that that goes way back to my childhood. And then my meditations on her in the last couple of years uh, in relation to this show have only deepened my sense of identification with her. Wow. Well, that's really beautiful and powerful. And your your comparison to Madonna and the HIV virus is, I think, very apt and very profound um, and moving, too. I think this idea, too, of um, this, this uh, HIV having no end is an interesting thing, too, because that's very much for you know, people like me and you who have lived with HIV, as opposed to the generation that specifically Madonna's, you know, part of, where there was an end, you know, that people died. I mean, and that that it's been amazing to be able to live and thrive, but it's also very complicated because it's this thing that you know is part of you, but also doesn't have a place. It's undetectable, it's invisible, you know, and how do you how do you reckon with that on a day-to-day basis? And what does it mean to other people and the stigma that goes along with it, which is somewhat left from the past, but is still hanging over us, or we still have to grapple with with you know, with ourselves internally and externally. But going back to Madonna. Always. Always. um, You were talking about sort of your beginning connections to Madonna. So I'm wondering if you could share with us, like, what was, what's your first memory, your first Madonna memory? I was thinking about this before I came in. So I am definitely, there is no question that I am an, I'm breathless Madonna child. Like this is inspired by the film, Dick Tracy. (laughs) Thank you. Absolutely. (laughs) This is the beginning of it. And like the more that I think about this moment in my life, like it was the pivotal defining time of myself culturally, sexually, and in every other way, because so until that point, I was a Disney kid. Like I was deeply You know, like, I'm not just talking, I watched the Disney Channel, but I read, like, long coffee table books about the Walt Disney Studios, and, like, my dream was to be an animator, blah, 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 blah. So, of course, when Dick Tracy was coming, it was very exciting, you know what I mean? And I I dutifully bought, like, anthologies of the 1930s Dick Tracy comics. I I made a Monopoly-style game that involved all the Dick Tracy villains. 
But it was this pivot point because I was then introduced to two really important figures from the film, which were Madonna and Stephen Sondheim, who would then become like hugely important in the in the rest of my life. They do and tend so- to upstage those villains <laughs> in the movie. Well, Madonna's <laughs> the main villain. Madonna's the main villain. And she doesn't have any um, playtex on. All those poor character actors and all that makeup. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. No, of course. So, I mean, except at the end when it's revealed, you know, she's got that. That, that blank mask. Uh. But like, I literally, I went to see Dick Tracy five times in the cinema in yeah. 1990, whatever it was. So, and I listen to the album all the time, but it's, it's just, I think like I'm Breathless is such a fascinating album only because um, it has kind of everything. Like when I think about it in terms of like the sexuality is present in like songs like Hanky Panky, but then it's also this, you know, introducing me to like Stephen Sondheim's wordplay and all this stuff. And I think I can literally remember like being an adolescent and like listening to a song like Hanky Panky or even Vogue and really being like, should I be listening to this? What are these messages that I'm getting? And at the same time, it was a Disney movie and it was musical theater. And so like the crossed wires of all this were just, I think the effect only kind of came to fruition like much, much later. And, you know, as I've been listening to you guys do your episodes on erotica, like I very much feel that I retreated from Madonna in the years following I'm Breathless, or I was almost like afraid to engage with the erotica era because, you know, I was maybe not, I was definitely not the most sexually precocious teenager. And I, I was raised in a very liberal, but very Catholic family. And so like in my high school years, um, I can remember like reading, um, you know, Sunday newspaper supplements, you know, asking like, has Madonna gone too far? Mm-hmm. And like talking yeah. about the sex book and the content of, of erotica and justify my love and all this and really being like, oh God, I'm not sure what I feel about this and how to engage with this. So erotica is not really an album that I think I ever really got into because my, my kind of, um, I feel like my journey with Madonna has had its, has had its peaks and troughs. Mm. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. Times when I have felt closer to her or more able to engage and, and listening to the recent episodes of the podcast actually been really, really um, transformative for me in my sense of kind of how I think about what she's done in that era. Well, it's interesting because uh, um, a couple of things that I think is really interesting, which is a lot of people, we've gotten a lot of feedback from, from listeners about how, um, they retreated or were scared of this record. And also, um, I, I, I kind of love people that were able to have kind of step away, come back, step away, come back, because there's more for you to discover. And it's not something where it's like a constant, like, I'm always going to care about what Madonna's going to do. But I, I kind of relish those people who will be like, you know what, I'm going to be out for this era. I'm, I'm listening to, you know, hip hop or I'm listening to, you know, Whitney Houston. Or, or Sunday whatever. in the Park with George. Or Sunday in, in the Park case. with George, <laughs> with Bernadette and Mandy. Um, and um, so I think that, that that all is really interesting. I also love this idea of you being able to be 
to know, to start thinking about what the messaging is. You're not just, I think that that's a pivotal part of your development as a listener, just all of us, which is this idea of like, not only are you just like, oh my God, what a great song, but it's like, what is this song telling me and how do I feel about it? And I think that that's kind of the break when you start to become a critical listener versus somebody that just enjoys the music and it's just like, oh my God, that song's amazing. Or, oh my God, the video is so fierce or blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. I want to go back to this thing that you said about, you know, how erotica didn't really impact you or you were afraid of it at the time. And and then when we reached out to you and said, hey, can um, we want to connect with you on In This Life? And you said, you know, that's not a song that I really um, listen to. And then you sent a follow-up email saying like, oh, I've been thinking about the song. And so since you've had a chance to reflect on the song, um, what do you think about it now? Or, you know, what do you, what are you, what do you, what do you connect with it now? Yeah. Um, you know, like for instance, when I was um, beginning to write my show about Madonna and HIV, um, you know, I, I listened to the song cause I was like, well, what, this is Madonna's like most famous kind of musical statement about HIV. And I just, I just don't know that there's anything here that I can mine. Whereas Weirdly, other songs that aren't uh, explicitly about HIV have always seemed to me to be capturing some of the pain and the emotion of the epidemic. And the ones that come to mind are Live to Tell, obviously, which feels like it has this unplaceable kind of sense of emotion and survival, but also a song like Spanish Eyes. I, For whatever reason, mm-hmm. I kind of associate with the epidemic. And... And so, yeah, it's not a song I engage with, but then as I was listening to it, um, since you guys invited me to do this, I still don't think it's a good song as a song, but I think it's a fascinating text, if that makes sense. There's very few Madonna songs that I know of where you can really pinpoint exactly who she's addressing and who she's referencing. And so it's fascinating that this is basically a very specific address to Martin, her friend, and to Christopher Flynn, as well as many other people, I'm sure, but like specifically to them. Mm. And that they are not um, famous people. You know, she she often um, would reference, you know, like Keith Haring, who's someone that the world knew, but like Martin and Christopher Flynn are people who are important to her from some of the most formative parts of her life since before she's famous, you know? And... So in that sense, I think it's fascinating as this very, very personal song and and listening to it and reading the lyrics again, I was just struck by how she's she's on a park bench. And in terms of like other songs that deal with AIDS and the epidemic and the crisis is very much from the perspective of an onlooker, an ally. Um, and also, I think what feels critical to me is like someone who's exhausted and demoralized. And so in that sense, like you could imagine this wouldn't be a song that they would play at like a benefit for HIV AIDS because it's not, it's not an inspiring song. And you can imagine like, I don't know, like a Bette Midler ballad from the nineties kind of more being used to kind of have uplift or something or kind of inspire us. And in that sense, I think it's, it's weirdly though. I find the lyrics at times, um, basic mm. that the sentiment is complex if that makes if that makes any sense because she's she's talking about like there's a sense of almost nihilism and exhaustion and demoralization 
which feels to me from her own personal losses, but also from the basically 10 years that this epidemic has been going on with no sense of closure. And so that kind of what for, what for, Mm. I hope that it will be in this lifetime is very sad. Um, Yeah, I agree with you. It's not my favorite song in the album. I don't know that I, in a lot of ways, it's very plotting and, you know, however, I do think it is the emotional heart of the album. And the thing that sort of, like we talk about at the very beginning, there are ghosts in this album. These are the ghosts that have been haunting this whole album, I think, in a lot of ways. Similar to like um, Baltimore Waltz, it's like the whole erotica album is her going on a, a, a flight of fancy. It's like, I'm going to escape. I'm going to go into this world of the dance and the darkness, but I'm going to play, play, play. And at the end, she can't escape it. At the end, it's still, she can't forget these guys who were her best friends. And where would they... Is the album for them? Is the album? Is it the album that they would have wanted? Can she? Is she thinking about them, dancing with them throughout this whole thing? You know, like and and that the sense of like I'm exhausted. This is the last thing that I can do. Is and I I think that's where I also talk about this album feels like it's full of this fury. Mm-hmm. Um, that it's all defiant. And even when we get to the girly show, I feel like the girly show is so defiant. Yeah. It's the most defiant she ever is on stage until Madame X, I think. Um, and which is a different kind of defiance, that's but a, that's it's, an interesting um, parallel. Yeah. But that that ultimately at the at the heart of it is, like you say, this exhaustion and fury and wondering, like, will this ever end? You know? Well, and I find that interesting that like it it, it for me, it's such a literal uh interpretation. I, I feel like Madonna. Um, picked up on the fact that people were using Live to Tell, picked up on the fact that they were using Spanish eyes, picked up on the fact that she was, they, they were finding um, activism in the songs that weren't necessarily intended for that. And I think when she was writing this song, she was like, I'm going to just write an actual song about it so that people know how I really feel about it. Because I don't necessarily think she would think live to tell captures how she feels. And I also think, um, you know, we're, co- we're coming at the end of 10 years of Madonna being famous. Madonna started her career in, you know, 1982, everybody came out. It's now 1992. She's now the biggest star in the world. And she's been doing AIDS activism since probably, I think, her first big event was in early 87, mm-hmm. that fashion show she did um, when she was dressed like Nikki Finn. Um, she had the Nikki Finn hair and it was really shocking. And um, and she's been doing, you know, you know, the, the inclusion of the of the um the the facts about AIDS and the like of prayer materials, all the different benefits she was doing, the tributes to Elizabeth PSA Taylor's, all the P- yeah. I mean, she's been doing AIDS activism for probably at, at the front lines as one of the biggest stars doing it other than say an Elizabeth Taylor since probably for five or so years. And, and I know we talk about it um, earlier in our conversation about this song, but she's also, it's only now that like mainstream entertainment is waking up to it and wearing the ribbons. And it's only in the last like two years that people are like, Oh, wait a minute. All these people are dying. We better do something. We better organize. And the frustration of being like, okay, I've been banging on this door for the last, you know, six or seven years. Where have you been? And what what are you going to do now that's going to make any difference because you weren't there five years ago? Yeah. And I think, and I think the thing that, you know, 
I always say, like, no matter what Madonna does, when people criticize the latest stupid thing that she said on Instagram, it's you're never going to get me to criticize her ultimately, because honestly, and it's all about this, this period of time, because I think something that is, is hard to grasp is how personal and deeply ingrained her activism in this time clearly was because, and I think maybe only matched by like Elizabeth Taylor or possibly Princess Diana. Like, in fact, those three are like the trifecta of the three most famous women in the world, like both all of them taking on this issue. But like, when I say personal, it's like, because um, she put her body and her own story on the line so much in her activism. I, I don't know if you guys have seen this, but in my, Research, I found that there was a in the Who's That Girl uh, concert as early as that. She did a benefit and they gave out these like comic books that were about safe sex. Um, this is even before the Like a Prayer one. And she has this like handwritten note talking about how Martin died. And, you know, Christopher Flynn was there at those GMHC dance-a-thons where she's, she's out there with Sandra and with Christopher Flynn and everybody else just dancing the night away with people. And you're like... She lived this amongst her closest friends, like in her community, in her body, in her life, you know, and it's like, and and the other thing that I would say about it is her activism at this time was not mournful and noble and high handed. So like when you compare like what she's saying about HIV and how she is, although wanting to talk about safe sex and wanting to talk about respect for people with HIV, um, she's not doing like Philadelphia, right? Which like won the Tom Hanks, the Oscar this same year, which is a, which is a fine movie, but is completely sexless. Do you know what I mean? And like what Madonna does, which like is just not being done on the mainstream is like having respect and dignity for people who are living with and dying from HIV and AIDS without removing sex, removing queerness, removing what makes them them. And, um, you know, and I think I was trying, I was putting the dates together and I was realizing that like that whole controversy around rumors that she herself had HIV mm-hmm. is like the year before this. Yes. And yeah. it's raised in, well, she raises it in her Amphar speech. Like she confronts it directly. Yeah. And then it also comes up in that Jonathan Ross interview when she's promoting erotica. And I just feel like her answers in response to that are like, something that no one else would ever say. No no, no person of her stature. One, one of the things obviously that you're known for and you obviously spend a lot of time doing is, is, is helping to raise awareness about AIDS, about mm-hmm. people who are HIV positive and uh-huh. the way society deals with them. And I know there was, there was a rumor that came up a while ago, someone started a rumor that you were HIV mm-hmm. positive and you dealt with it in a very clever way, I think. You came out and said, if this is the but kind I'm... of stuff that I have to put up with, so be it, you mm-hmm. know, it doesn't matter. But I'm curious, if you were to find yourself HIV positive, mm-hmm. how would you deal with it? How would you deal oh, with it God. in terms of the press and, and the world? Well, I would certainly say that I was. I mean, I, I can't go to the bathroom without everybody knowing about it. Plus, I don't think it's anything to be ashamed about. And that's one of the problems with AIDS is that it's like, you know, people are made to feel that they're lepers and that they have to go and hide in a cave somewhere. Um, I think that the most important thing that I could do is, is, is to, to make an announcement and say that I was HIV positive, And then the next thing would be to stay as healthy as, as long as possible. That's and like her messaging is legitimately 25 to 30 years earlier than like people are getting that messaging. Yes. Even now people don't have that like 
that understanding of like how to speak about those issues. And it's just like, it's amazing. Um, a lot of my thinking about um, HIV and AIDS activism and the work of ACT UP is shaped by the art critic, Douglas Crimp, who wrote an amazing collection of essays called Melancholia and Moralism and was involved in ACT UP. And he talks about, in one of his essays in that collection, he talks about 1992 being this year when, when actually, although ACT UP was releasing um, a film, a video that showed all the successes of their demonstrations in the late 80s, it no longer existed because of fractures within the group and yeah. because of so many people had died. So the, the, the film had been made with all these powerful speeches of people being very militant, like Vito Russo. And then at the end of it, they had to acknowledge that though the filming had taken place two years ago, now so many of them had died. So 1992 was this time that was about obviously not wanting to give up the fight, but also accepting um, demoralization and kind of mourning. And I think that's something that a lot of this album seems to do is like, it allows things to coexist. It, it, it is not saying I regret desire, I regret pursuing pleasure, but it's also holding a space for kind of moralism and exploring questions of shame and stuff. And to be honest, that's what I'm doing with my show. I think there's a whole narrative around HIV, which makes sense, which is like, we're survivors and we're strong and we're healthy and everything's fine and our life is fine. And actually part of my grappling with it in the show is being like, I don't always have to be fine. And I can sometimes acknowledge that I feel guilty or I feel tired or I feel whatever it is. And those things like cycle around. And so, um, to be honest, like the more I think about this text in this era, the more I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe she was releasing this out into the world as a, as a commercial album. You're like, of course these people didn't get it <laughs> at mm. the time. You know, the, the Jesse Helmses and the Tipper Gores and the Nightline hosts and whoever, whoever it was. Well, and, and even, even, even uh, liberal culture. I mean, you yeah. know, HIV and AIDS, always conveniently walked, you know, off stage once the person was either dead or they're going to be okay. They've been accepted by their family. They have a place to stay. Right. And then it kind of, kind of goes off stage. And we don't, we don't have a lot of stories of people living with it and continually living with it um, yeah. in our, in our narratives. Yeah. I mean, even it's a sin, right. That came out this, this yeah. past yeah. year is still historicized is still dying is still all about shame and guilt. And I had no time for it personally. I like, Oh yeah, just, totally. <laughs> same, same. No, I'm only interested in stories about people who are surviving and, and what it means or what it means to grapple with the idea of living with it, you know, and continuing um, to live with it. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything that you would like to add or end on or, or anything that we missed or that you want to check in on? No, I just, I want to thank you both for inviting me. And I'll shamelessly say that, because I suspect there's a good crossover of your audience to ours for the show. If people want to find out the um, latest updates of when and how the show will eventually become available, you can follow at Live to Tell Show uh, on Instagram or on Twitter. Very well, cool. Thank you so much, Brian. Really nice to meet you guys. It's, it's nice, nice to, meet to meet you. you. I hope we get yeah. to do it in person. Yes, so. okay. yes. Yes, no, drop me a line if anybody's in London and I'll be dutifully listening to every episode. Uh, that was really, um, really powerful. And I learned a lot and it 
his his what he talks about deeply moves me. Yeah, you know, it's so um, inspiring to see how people are uh, using this time creatively and and staying motivated and pushing through. And it really is, you know, it, it it's such a such art and music and uh, community really are the things pulling us along through these very strange times. And Madonna, I mean, at the heart of this, you know, is is his connection to what Madonna means to him and to the world and how that refracts and reflects, you know. Well, listen, I think um, when his show goes up in London that we will um, plan to put a group together to go um, from all our fans, our fans, our fans, and Madonna fans and Brian Mullen fans from all over the world. Um, we will come to London. Um, I love have, this idea. Don't you love it? And we'll come to the show, and then we will have a we will have a big party afterwards. A proper hang. A proper hang. A proper hang. Well, Mark, we only have two more episodes left, and of this Ugh. season. So. Um, this was a really beautiful way to sort of tie this album together. And um, so, all right, until next time. Bye. This next song, this next song I wrote about two very dear friends of mine who died of AIDS. And though you don't know my friends, I'm sure that each and every one of you tonight knows someone or will know someone who is suffering from AIDS, the greatest tragedy of the 20th century. For all of you out there who understand what I'm talking about, don't give up.